Well, um, I want to go ahead and uh, get started here as we um, begin our time together. Again, we had such a, a special time this morning with our kids. Um, uh, and I'm so thankful for Miss Ashley tuning in. And um, what I realize is that my heart has been uh, extremely heavy. And there are moments where things like gratitude, which is one of our rhythms, becomes a discipline. Gratitude doesn't come natural, particularly in times like these. And uh, uh, if I'm honest, I feel oftentimes a little more discouraged than thankful. Um, but it's also in times like these that I can find or lean on maybe the joy of others. And I want to show you a video. It's a worship video. And uh, I'd, let me just say this up front. Please don't confuse this video with me somehow being tone deaf to what's going on in our country right now. Um, we live in a great country, but it's also deeply flawed, and our country needs to grieve. Um, and so I don't want to say that we're somehow better than we are, but what, what's been revealed over the last couple of weeks are some deeply rooted problems. But now more than ever, we need the people of God to walk humbly, to act justly, and to love mercy. And so corporate worship is also about celebrating who God is and reminding ourselves of what's actually true. And even our physical posture when we come into worship is as important to demonstrate to God uh, as it is when you're happy to see an old friend. In fact, if I was to encourage or even teach our church about worship, I think when we come into the presence of God, it's it's like being able to see an old friend. And if you were greeted by an old friend and the friend didn't show any kind of emotion towards you, didn't stick out a hand, didn't reach out for a hug, it would feel like they might not be that excited to see you. And so I would love for our church to be able to have a kind of expression when it comes to worship that felt like we were gathering with an old friend and his name is Jesus, and we're in love with him, and we're excited to see him. And now, I want to show you a video of some soldiers. This actually has been in my files for a few years. It was filmed at Camp Pendleton outside of San Diego, which is a large marine base establishment. And when I watch these men worship, they're worshiping with karaoke-style worship. There's not a band. There's not a leader. They're worshiping. These are grown men with hand motions. This is not VBS. This is grown men with hand motions, karaoke. There's fluorescent lighting. There's no mood. And yet, they're standing shoulder to shoulder with every race and every class, all wearing the same uniform, declaring the way of the Lord. And I rediscovered this video. It came out in 2015. But I want to encourage you to just be drawn in to this like I was, and we'll just start our time, and maybe they can help us kind of find a, a, a better posture for worship as we begin our time together uh, this morning. But before we do that, um, can I just uh, say a word of prayer, uh, and then we'll go into this, this video together. 
God, you know how completely incapable we are of speaking or hearing what we need to hear and speak. None of us gather to ask anything because of our worth or because of our excellence, <clears throat> our beauty or our intelligence or anything else. We, we ask because of our need, because of your goodness, because of your love for us. We ask for light and we ask for understanding. We ask to know better what your will is for our lives. And we are painfully conscious that so many times in the past we have chosen what is wrong. We know that many times we suffer, not because of bad intentions, but because we don't understand. And we're in the dark, but we're glad that you sent your son to be the light of the world and let him shine today for these, your people, and for your glory. Amen.
Oh my goodness. You know, I watch that video and I go, this is how I believe it'll be a lot closer to in heaven than in most churches because everyone wears the same uniform before God and we all stand on level ground. And when I watch this, I sometimes wonder if we're missing something in worship, if we're missing something in faith that's maybe more relational, more joyful, more hopeful, more intimate, because maybe we're just not loud or expressive enough. And there is something that I think we're invited into that I think is really beautiful. And so uh, uh, I just, I hope that encourages you as it encourages me when we stand before God uh, to be able to bring that praise. Um, we don't get a lot of uh, things that feel worshipful during our week. And as we listen, um, uh, and, um, and so it's, it's good for us. Uh, it's good for us to be able to have that moment. But almost lost in the news over the last week, we launched a rocket into space for the first time in what, was it like a decade or something? And on that day, I actually was interested in it, and I had to search the news to find a report because uh, I wanted to see the launch of it, but everything was about riots and protests and a, maybe a little bit of COVID. And it's amazing to consider how much has changed since our last flight into space, but also what's transpired in 2020. No one could have imagined where we are today. This was an unimaginable future. But here's what's interesting. When we're living in what feels like unprecedented times, can I just go back to 1991? In 1991, the Soviet Union cosmonaut, Sergei Kirkulov, left for what was supposed to be a four-month space mission. Do you remember this story? If you remember what was going on in 91, particularly in the Soviet Union, um, there was a lot of change. You might even say unprecedented change. But imagine if you're Sergei and you're shot off into space. His country, the Soviet Union, goes out of business. Ground control left their post and, and decided they left him there for 10 months. And he became nicknamed the space victim because he orbited the earth 16 times a day for 313 days. And when he returned, everything had changed. The Soviet Union was now fractured into 15 different nations. And the Soviet Union was now the Commonwealth of Independent States. And they had fought off a coup. Uh, they had become, uh, the, the capital had become from Leningrad is now St. Petersburg. And at the time, Sergei was supposed to serve in the military reserves um, and was also almost issued a warrant for desertion until someone in the army realized that their reserve soldier wasn't even on the planet. Gorbachev had resigned in 92, and he was off in the West signing a book deal. And Sergei's handsome salary of 500 rubles at the time in 1991, which at that time, he was a one percenter. He was living at 99% in the economy. It could not even buy him a Big Mac at a McDonald's in Moscow. No one 
had any idea what 2020 would look like. A global pandemic that forced us into quarantine and to shelter in place. And just when things began to reopen, people reemerge with anger and violence and outrage nationwide because of racism. And as we seemingly uh, see in every metropolitan area is hosting protests and violence, a billionaire launches a rocket into space for the first time in years. See, over the last few weeks, I have wanted to take a story-oriented approach to illustrate how the gospel or how God seeks to interrupt our story with better news. Because better news, the hope of the gospel is always within reach. And the central part of the gospel is certainly Jesus's death, his burial, and his resurrection on our behalf because we need it. But that was more than something he simply did for us. Think about that. It was something that he modeled for us. Jesus was inviting us to a kind of death unto ourselves, and he took it to the most physical place. Jesus demonstrated a way to live, but as we see, peacemaking and giving and forgiving and sacrificing and loving mercy and acting humbly and walking justly will always feel like an interruption. That's what the gospel does. It also allows us to reorient our new life in Christ. And so do you have a before and after experience in your life, particularly your spiritual life? Has there been an event that you can point to that you said, that changed me? I think we're collectively looking at this season as a, a, a real disruption where it's a pivotal moment in our country's history. But you might have had something personally that it changed your lifestyle. It changed your, your abilities or your confidence or your freedom or your responsibility. For some, it was the birth of a child. Oh my goodness, that was a game changer. For others, maybe it was a divorce. Maybe it was bankruptcy. Maybe it was your retirement. Maybe it was a death of a loved one or a cancer diagnosis or a, a serious accident. Can you point to a time though in your Christian faith when things changed for you on an internal level? Not, I just started acting different. Your belief, your attitude, maybe your words, maybe even some of your desires. See, for some, it might've been at a camp meeting. For others, it might've been at a baptism um, years later. For others, it might've been a quiet prayer by your bedside, but it changed something in you. For others, it might've been a cross-cultural mission trip experience. I believe that God is constantly trying to interrupt our story with a better one. And this is what we call the good news. And the point is to be able to see how the gospel changes us from the inside out. There's a story that I want to visit today uh, because of this story-oriented oriented approach of how the gospel interrupts or creates almost disorder so that we can then reorder our life. And it comes out of Luke chapter 7. And Jesus interrupts an event happening in this village. 
Um, and if you have your Bibles, open with me to Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 11 through 17. Because I, at one level, we can read this as a neat story out of a day in the life of Jesus. But there are two or three or maybe even four layers beneath that that I want us to contextualize so that we can personalize it. And it's a story of Jesus raising a widow's son. And it comes to us, again, Luke 7, beginning in verse 11. Soon after, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with them. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of a mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Those are big words from Jesus. How do you tell a grieving widow, a grieving mother, don't cry. And then he went up and he touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and he began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. And they were all filled with awe and praised God, which is like the understatement of the whole book. But they gave praise to God. And a great prophet has appeared to among us, they said, and God has come to help his people, referring to Elijah. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Good news travels fast when it impacts a person's life. Now, the good news here isn't just that Jesus saved her son, uh, but saving her own life from poverty. So here's the scenario. For a widow's son to die was obviously considered extremely tragic, but it also led her, left her to be dependent on public charity, i.e. begging for support, unless she had any other relatives of means. Her husband had died, which there went her income source, and her only future was to survive was in her son. Both were gone. This was not just emotional, relational poverty. This was physical, financial ruin. Now, here's how it would play out. Jesus is entering the town, but by custom, the widow or the mother of the deceased would lead a procession. And this is what I find really interesting and really important for any faith community to understand. People customarily dropped whatever they were doing and joined in a funeral procession. It did not matter if you were close. It did not matter if you were friends. You lived in proximity and community. And so you joined in the funeral procession when it passed by. So it would not be too dissimilar from yesterday. You stopped what you were doing to drive by and bring gifts to celebrate Lauren having a, a baby within the next month. It's, it's, we join into this procession because we're celebrating the idea of new parents and new life. But on a larger scale, someone has died Someone is against all odds, and the least we can do is stop what we're doing today and join in this communal funeral procession. Because, and here's what's important, to be in community meant you should never grieve alone. 
regardless of how close we are, if we lived in proximity or if we went to the same church, we shared in each other's pain and joys. This is a really important scriptural model for what it means to be in community. Now, here's what Jesus does. He addresses the widow, and it's clear that he wasn't a part of the procession because it says that he approaches her from the front. And he was not planning to simply join in the morning, but it says that he had compassion. And so interrupting a funeral was a blatant breach of Jewish law and custom. This is what I love about Jesus. He breaks and recreates the rules. Only those closest to the deceased were expected to expose themselves to impurity. Now, if you were to touch the casket or what was like a, more like a stretcher, it would mean you would have uh, to be considered uh, ritually unclean for at least one day, and you would need to uh, purify yourself. If you touched an actual corpse, it would require you to be removed from the community for a week. But Jesus has none of that. He approaches um, and, and exposes himself to the uncleanliness of it. And Jesus here was more concerned with mercy than social graces or ritual purity. See, we live in a time that we've been interrupted, but we also live in a time that our status quo is being interrupted. And each of us as Christ followers has to evaluate how have we maybe been silent and complicit with what God needs to do in our hearts towards the least among us, towards the oppressed among us, towards the systemic um, racism in our society. This is where Jesus gives us a wonderful model of challenging the status quo for the sake of mercy and justice. Here, in this story, the gospel interrupts death. It intersects with grief. And it goes against all popular opinion and social norms. And Jesus, yes, he brings new life to the son, but he also, to the mother, uh, he shows up um, not before he disrupts, if you will, the, the status quo. So the question is, this was a good Jewish family, but do you think that Jesus in this moment changed the mother and the son's faith orientation? Think about it. They probably heard about this Jesus, but they probably didn't know him in terms of a personal followership, in terms of a personal love and affection. They were probably, like every good Jew, still waiting and praying for the Messiah. So the question is, is when Jesus interrupts the funeral procession, interrupts a flatline death experience, does this change their faith? I think so. Do you think they believed that the Messiah had now come? I think so. Do you think they saw this as good news or just a breach of some social custom or religious observation? This is why the power of the gospel is so beautiful and so critical. See, they had an interruption and it changed them from the inside out. And it's fair to say that our status quo has been interrupted. It's fair to say that our status quo regarding the vulnerable and the oppression needs 
to be interrupted. But with God, nothing is for nothing. God doesn't intend for most things to happen in our world, but he does seek to redeem all things according to his will. And the gospel meets all of us, regardless of our standing, in our grief, he meets us in our unforgiveness, he meets us in our prejudice, he meets us in our fear, and he seeks to restore and repair our hearts. This is the good news. This is what the gospel does. It brings new life to our hearts. And Jesus was inviting people to follow God in a whole new way, to be people of hope, to be people of justice. And Jesus wasn't just doing Jesus things here. It's so easy to read the, the scripture like a historical book. Jesus wasn't just doing Jesus things to heal, to help, to save people 2,000 years ago. He was doing things as a demonstration for what Christian faith should look like in his physical absence by way of his spirit. And the gospel does not make life any easier, but it can reorient our hearts. And good news can be found in any situation when your hope is in Christ and you understand that God is, in fact, a redeemer. Now, I want to draw your attention to the, one of the last verses where he walks upon her and he says, don't cry. The last thing I would say to people who are grieving and in our outrage right now in our society is get over it or don't cry or it's all good because there's a place for grieving and mourning. But the worst place that we could end, I believe, as Christians is pity for the least of these, pity for people of color. That's not our answer because pity doesn't last. Opportunity and maybe friendship is a way forward. Understanding is a way forward. And so the last thing I would wanna tell people right now is to not cry or feel lost or be outraged. And Jesus says, it's as that he heard the cries of the funeral procession. He saw the loss of a widowed mother and he had compassion. Who do you know personally that is crying out for love right now? The poor, immigrants, people of color, the marginalized, they need opportunity and we need friendship that extend across social divides. This is why from the very beginning, Mission Hills has chosen an uncomfortable path forward, one that requires sacrifice, discomfort, it means putting ourselves in uncomfortable situations with people different than us because compassion reminds us that we're all needy, but someone else's needs are just different than my own. And maybe I can be a part of God's salvation, if not his solution. So I just want to pray with you. Uh, and so I would just ask that you would just bow your heads with me. And I, I want to do a little spiritual inventory as we open our hearts and our minds up to the Lord. And um, 
I would just ask this question with, with your eyes closed and trying to limit the distractions, regardless of your age, regardless of what's going on at home, just, I want you to just take some inventory. How has the gospel interrupted your life? Have you had a personal exchange with the story of God and it changed you for good, for hope? I would love for each and every one of us to have a testimony of how the gospel has interrupted our lives, created an amount of disorder in hopes that we could enter a portal of transformation. Now let me ask you this, in what ways have you had to let things or maybe need to let things die, surrender, give up in order for Christ to reign in you. Through your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would reveal to the things that are yet surrendered in our life. Our Father, who is gracious and mercy, will you speak, paint pictures, reveal in our hearts areas unbridled, yet surrendered, unbroken to your, to your rule and to your reign, to your will and to your way. Name those before him. Confess them. Offer them. And then the third question I would just simply ask is, with whom can you care for even if they are unable or never are able to return the favor? Is there someone that God is leading, has led you to, that is not a person of charity, but is a person of peace? That is a person that God has invited you to extend his care and compassion? And maybe through you, opportunity for a a better job, maybe justice, maybe friendship. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and allow your new life to be born again in us. Um, thank you that to know you wasn't just a once and for all introduction, but we can be made new and born again as much as we need it and we need it. We pray this in the name of the risen Christ. Amen.